0: This is, Filled with the Spirit, with Pavel Goya, part three. Usually after, after people eat, they have a tendency to sleep. When I was young, I used to stay at the balcony, and I had a big straw like thick, and I watching who is sleeping in the church, and I would shoot them in the head with rice. You are lucky I don't have that anymore. So let's continue a little here We uh, Talked a little about the Holy Spirit And the need for revival And the need to be Not only to know about God Not only to talk about God But to be filled With God's presence To the degree that God controls our life That we die to self And we no longer live but Christ lives in us to the degree that we walk with him and depend on him to the degree that we have a strong connection with him. And as Paul says, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. Basically, that God can inspire us, use us, lead us, tell us, that's when God can accomplish things through us. Otherwise, we are in control and we try to use God so he does what we want instead of the other way around. And so saying that, I'm going to give a story. You probably heard me. My father was a man of prayer. My father used to pray a lot. And he was a very wise, very dedicated, very faithful, very very smart, but yet very humble man. He... Uh, would pray a lot and it happens that I would eat a lot and I would go in the night from room to room to room to the living room to the kitchen and eat. Everybody was sleeping. But my father was in the living room praying. And then around 2 a.m. I would go again and just get something because I could not sleep. I was hungry. So I would eat a little and then go back to sleep. I was happy after I ate. And my father was still praying. And in the morning around 5 a.m. I would go and eat a little more. By the way, last night at 4 a.m., I was in the kitchen eating. (laughs) I know, sounds crazy. Anyway, so around 5, I would go back and eat. Everybody sleeping, my father was still praying. And I said, don't you exaggerate. He said, well, how can you exaggerate when you talk to God? And I said, why do you pray so much? Well, I pray for you. I said, I don't need so much prayer. And he would say, that's the reason I pray so much. And then he would say, Well, son, I pray until I am filled with the Holy Spirit to the degree that I can sense God's voice, that I am in tune, and God can inspire me, talk to me, and I can hear his voice, and he can lead me and use me. And he would say, God can never use me unless I am connected. And he would say, As soon as I disconnect, Satan can attack me. But when I am connected, Satan has no access to me. And then he would say, when I pray, you, the family, are protected and blessed. And God's presence is around you. When I don't pray, you are exposed. Satan has access to the family. So he would say, I am responsible for you. I remember one time he told me, he said, I was crazy talking about him. Not me, I was never crazy. (laughs) He said, I was crazy and my father prayed for me. And I changed when I was 32. And then he said, you are crazy and I am praying for you. And you are going to change. And then he said to me, make sure that you keep praying for your children and pass it on. Isn't that beautiful? Anyway, and so he prayed and prayed and prayed. And he told me when I go to work, I keep connected. I, I try to do that. It's amazing. I try to put my cell phone to vibrate every two hours. Wherever I am, whatever I do, driving, I stop not for two hours or one hour, but I stop for five minutes and pray again. And you know what it does? Because we have a tendency to forget about God and then to depart. It keeps us connected. And after a while, I got used To stay connected and to be aware of God's presence and to ask him and to listen. It teaches us how to stay connected continually. Anyway, so my father went to the pastor. Very good pastor. Very good. That pastor did so much good in the church. It was probably one of the best I've known. Very humble, very dedicated, hard worker, spiritual, very good man. So my father went to the pastor and said, listen, our church is old. We all have nice homes Yet God's church is broken. Shouldn't we build a beautiful church for our God? When you talk about old and broken, if you knew it, I mean the church was literally broken, and the pastor house was made out of plywood physically, and the bathrooms, the plywood was so rotten that if you lean against they would fall. And in the bathrooms inside, in the restrooms, <clears throat> there was no toilet seat. It was a hole in the ground. And I remember sometime I would look in the hole and see moving, you know. You understand? I don't need to describe more. And I was afraid. What if I fall? I was afraid, you know. You would have to sit on two things. And there was the hole in between, you know. And so my father said to the pastor, we need new church. We need new bathrooms. We need new Sabbath schools. We need new... (coughs) And the pastor said, it's against the law. We cannot. It was literally against the law. You build a church, you go to prison. And you'll never get government approval. Think about North Korea or China or Cuba. Or You'll never get government approval. And so the pastor said, it's absolutely impossible. And my father said, if God says build, we build. Nothing. Whatever is literally impossible for humans... God has a thousand solutions. He says, and it happens. Think about the three young men in the fiery furnace. Humanly, it would be impossible to survive it. <clears throat> but with God, it's a walk in the park. <laughs> so my father said, not with my God. And the pastor said, you are right. So they, the two of them talk, 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 And they went to the board. They talked to the board. And the board, oh, don't talk about it. You talk about it, there are spies. You know what I mean? Judas, people paid by the secret police to, from among our church members, to spy on us. And they would go to the police once a week or so, and they would tell everything that happened in the church who did what, who said what. And then you would be called by the police and, you know, you would be in trouble. And for some things, you would go to prison, for some things you just go to the police for an interrogation. For something things you would be beaten, and for some things you will never come back home. That was it. And so <clears throat> the board, no, it's against the law, we will be arrested, we will be imprisoned, we will be tortured, no. And my father said, why are you afraid? Why are you afraid? You either don't have a God, or you have a very small God. Because if you have a real God, that is the king of the universe, the creator, who says and it happens. If you have God with you, who can be against you? You understand? The Bible in Revelation 17 gives a list of people who don't go to heaven. Top of the list is people who are afraid. People who are afraid, they have a theory of God. But they don't have God's presence. Because when God is with you, you have peace. The Bible says in Isaiah, you keep him in perfect peace. Him whose eyes are fixed on you. If you have God, you know that he is in control. And nothing happens unless he allows it. And if he allows it, then you need it. You understand? And he promised... He doesn't say if you go through the waters, you will. It's just a matter of time. But he says when you go through the waters, I will be with you. You are never alone. Even if the mountains move, my love will never move from you. You follow me? I have inscribed you on my palm. I love you more than anything. I know you by name. So God promised to be with us. So my father said, why are you afraid if God is with you? You should jump up and down and scream and be happy. God is with us. Poof. Who can touch us, you know? And they, uh, we are afraid. My father said, okay, let's pray about it. They prayed, they decided to do it. They worked every night. I want you to imagine if you have a job during the day and instead of sleeping, you work at the church construction during the night. That's commitment, that's sacrifice. They worked every night, like from 11 p.m. Sometimes we'd work through the day, very quiet, small jobs inside. But when we built it, every night, when it was dark so nobody could see us, no lights, the light of the moon. And we worked without any power tools, so no noise. And, And we left the front wall of the old church, and propped it so it would stand. And we built the new church hiding behind the front wall of the old church. And in about three months, the new church was taller than the front wall of the old church. And we still didn't have a roof. <coughs> well, well, well. People, neighbors, somebody called the police. They are building a new church. That night it was raining, heavy rain. And the police came. 1, 2 a.m., I don't know. Around... Early, early, early morning, after midnight, the police came. In front of the church, it was a nice front yard, an apple tree, very low, golden, delicious, big apples, yellow, very nice. And then it was a big almond and a small almond, an, an old and a young almond tree. And then it was some grapevines and it was a, a, a green, how you name it? Hedge like like bushes that left and right of the path, and you would go through the path in front of the gate. There were two big old trees, <coughs> linden trees, if you know what I am talking about. Linden, and then it was a big fence with a big iron steel gate. And I remember I will never forget, I was in fifth grade. The police started to bang in the gate. Open the gate! You are building a church, it's against the law. People started to cry. That's the end. We go to prison, all of us. And the new church had no roof. But in the back of the church was a balcony for the choir. And they all went under the balcony where there was no rain. And they started to cry and pray, Lord, save us. We are going to go to prison, save our freedom. My father went to the gate. Do you have a warrant? They said, no. Then we don't open the gate. Open the gate! We'll terminate you. Aren't you afraid? People were afraid. They would see the security. In Russia, they called it KGB. In Romania, we called it security. People would just put their heads down and shake and cry. Please don't take me. My father said, if you have a God, you keep your shoulders straight, your head up. You are the son of the king. Why would you be afraid of the police? And he said, no, we don't open the gate. We will terminate you. It's okay, terminate me. But first go get a warrant. We cannot go to the judges. 2 a.m. How could we get to get a warrant? Then wait until tomorrow morning and get a warrant and then come back. Open the gate. Nope. Get a warrant. They were so angry. They were like foaming. You know. And my father said, "Now you don't impress me. I'm not afraid. Oh, you will pay for it. He said, gladly, after you get a warrant. Go. So the police left. I remember they prayed the whole night. Literally the whole night. We all, young and old, we all prayed the whole night. There were two families that were fighting each other like crazy for two generations. The parents were fighting and now the kids were fighting. And I remember my father went to one of them and said, uh, though he was not part of the two families' fight, and said, please forgive me. And the man says, why? Because my wife and I have criticized you at home. And the guy says, Mr. Goya, please forgive me too, because we have criticized you quite a lot at home too. And they hugged each other. And then, that family went to the second family. He said, we may die tonight. We may go to prison tonight. I really want to solve it. I knew all along that I should have done what is right. But I was too proud to admit. So, please forgive me. The other family, I know, me too. Please forgive me. And those two families hugged each other. It was like, whoa, the biggest miracle. You know, these two families would rather die than to have peace. They were like... You know, and soon enough, the whole church was hugging each other, praying together, asking forgiveness. And you could sense a really sweet spirit. You could sense God's presence among them. And you could sense humility, repentance. Do you remember the steps? Prayer together. Do you remember what I am talking? If my people who are called by my name would humble themselves turn from their wicked ways and pray. You remember? So they people were humbling themselves, confessing, asking forgiveness, praying together. Anyway, the police didn't come back that night. Another few months, we finished the building, we finished the church, we finished the pastor's house, nice bathrooms with nice toilet seats, <coughs> modern, and then we finished the Sabbath school classes, so we finished everything. A few months later, the police came back. When the police came back, my father told the pastor, go, take your wife, run through the back door, go. The pastor, no, I'm not gonna go. Well, we'll get arrested. What's the benefit for both of us to get arrested? Somebody has to be free. You are young, God still has a plan for you. You need to be free to keep working with the city. I am old, I am getting retired, it's okay, I go to prison. No, we both go to prison. No, nonsense. Somebody has to work with the city, go. He said, okay. The pastor left through the back door. My father went to the gate, opened the gate. The police, who is in charge? My father, I am in charge of the construction. They took him to the police station. Some of you may have heard the story. The police officer put the gun in my father's chest and said, we need to stop you. You build too many churches. You bring too many Bibles in the country. You do too much this or that. We need to stop you. Are you going to stop? My father said, nope. We kill you. Go ahead. I'm going to see Jesus. The officer, yeah, you say that, but I'm going to load it. He loaded. Are you going to stop? My father said, hold on a second. He started to unbutton the shirt. He took the shirt off. Now you can kill me. Why do you take the shirt off? The bullet goes to the shirt. He says, I know, but I just got this shirt from the shopping center last week. It's new. It would be a pity to stain it, to break it. It's new. Give it to somebody poor. I said, "You are crazy." My father said, "Yeah, I am. I am." I am. And then <clears throat> the officer took the telephone, called the chief of police. We cannot scare him off. This guy is not going to stop. He will continue to bring Bibles. He will continue to build churches. What can we do? He is crazy. He is not going to stop. He is not afraid. The chief of police called the mayor. <clears throat> what do you do with him? The mayor said, "Kill him." You have my order. Execute him. Make him a lesson for the whole city. So these Christians would stop. We are communists. We don't believe in God. He went on and on. The chief of police called the officer. You have order to execute him. The officer said, I'm sorry, but this is serious. Now I have to do my job. I have to kill you. My father said, let me pray first. Oh, nonsense. Even if you pray, nobody can save you from the communist government. We have the power. My father said, my friend, I rarely pray for me. I don't value my life. I value Jesus. I don't have time to pray for me because I pray for Jesus. He said, what? He said, I don't intend to pray for my life. If God wants me to live, I will live in spite of you. And if God wants me to die, I'm ready. It's going to be a second to resurrection. I'm going to see Jesus and I don't live for this life. I live for that life. So let me pray first. Okay. He put his hand around the officer and said, Lord, you died for me. It's a privilege to die for you. But I don't want to die in vain. So this is my request. Would you save this man? I want to see him in heaven. I'm going to forgive him and I'm asking you to forgive him. Thank you, Lord. Amen. The police officer was in shock. You prayed for me? Yeah. Jesus prayed for them from the cross, you know. And the officer said, but I have to shoot you. My father said, I forgive you. That's okay. (laughs) Go ahead. Do your job. The telephone started to ring He picked up the phone It was the deputy, the one under the mayor The deputy of the city Don't you touch this man The spirit of the living God is in him Why? As soon as the mayor gave the order He got in his car, he left the city hall And the drunk driver in a big truck Hit the mayor's car and killed the mayor The mayor just died Don't you touch this man If you touch him, you fight against God Leave him alone My friend said, okay, we build another one, bye. He came home. I asked him, how did you know that God will save you? He said, I didn't. And you okay with that? He said, yes. And he said to me, son, you are not yet a Christian. I said, what? I'm baptized. He said, oh yeah, you did go in the water. I said, why do you say that? And he said, You love your life too much. You worship self. You focused on self too much. When you say, how did you know God will save you? He said, I don't even think about self. I surrender every day. And whatever God decides, I'm good with it. My focus is not me. I worship God, so I focus on Him, not on me. Think about that. Who do you focus on? So you know who you worship. Who do you pray for? So you know who you worship. Who, you know who is your God. You follow me? That's a little tough, isn't it? Because we are a self-centered society. You understand what I am talking about? Or I talk Japanese, you know? No, I don't know Japanese. It's a difficult language. We got to have a good brain to learn Japanese, you know? And so, <clears throat> my father told me, son, we prayed about the church. And we don't go ahead of God. Make plans and then God ask God to bless our plans. We wait. God gave us the plan. If God said build a church, why would we stop? Who are people to tell us to stop if God says go? And he said the problem, son, is that our people never talk to God and they just assume that this is good to do and they do it instead of asking for God to tell them what to do. Whoa. That's a different level, isn't it? Altogether. And so, saying that, my father said to me then, if you want to be a Christian, you need to be like Christ. And you need to walk with Him. And you need to be led, controlled by Him. And you need to be filled by Him to the degree that He talks to you and He leads your mind and He leads your words and He leads your actions. And you cannot do that in your power. Therefore, you need to be filled with the Spirit. Only the Holy Spirit can transform you. You'll never be able to overcome sin. You'll never have the power to fight Satan. You'll never have the power to fight, to change self. But the Holy Spirit has the power to do that. He can change a heart. So you need to be filled with the Spirit. And the Holy Spirit not only that can change you and grow you and give you victory and save you. But the Holy Spirit can use you and influence the others around you. Make you a, an aroma of life. Instead of an aroma of death, you follow me? And my father said, You must be filled with God's presence. And that's what Jesus says I'm going to send you the comforter and he will lead you in all things. And he said to me, If you don't do that, you are not a Christian. Whoa! And God is so patient with us. And God takes us from wherever we are, and patiently He's trying to talk to us. So hopefully we grow, because we are supposed to grow, aren't we? Let me explain a little. Is it good to go to church? Yeah, yes. Come on, it's good. Yes, everybody should have screamed, yes, hallelujah. Is this a tricky question? No, it's not a tricky question. (laughs) Is it good to be baptized? Yes, amen. Is it good to keep Sabbath? Absolutely. Is it good to eat healthy? Yes. Yes. Okay, let me ask you this. Why do we have problems in the church? Why do we have problems in the family? If we do everything right. Huh? Can it be that we have all the forms, but we lack the presence, therefore we lack the transformation and the growth? Did you hear what I said? We go to church, we do all the routine. And Jesus says in Isaiah... I hate your assemblies. I hate your sacrifices. When you pray, I turn my head. You remember those Bible verses? Wow, that's pretty tough. Because can it be that we go to church and we think we worship God, but all we do, we do the forms to calm our conscience. Oh, I did that and I did that and I did that. But we don't grow in Christ. And when we are born... We are supposed to grow from milk to heavy food, to grow from newborn babies spiritually, when we get born again, to the to of fullness of Christ, to spiritual maturity. But we many times don't grow. You have 40-year-old babies in the church that still wear diapers and stink. You know what I am talking about? Baptized 50 years ago, and they still are in diapers. And you, oh, please, please be quiet. We need to grow up. And growth happens only by the Spirit. And the reason we don't grow and we have problems in the family and we have problems in the heart and we have problems in the church is that we do go to church, but we don't understand it's not enough. You must be filled by the Spirit because only the Spirit can grow you. It's not enough to go to school. It's good, but you need to graduate. If you go to school and you don't graduate, forget it. It doesn't help. You understand? It's not enough to go to Olympics. You need to win the gold. You understand? And so, it's not enough to be baptized. You need to grow. Saying that, I remember we we went to the Black Sea And here is the Black Sea, and here is Tekirgöl, it's a lake. It's about, more or less, uh, five, six kilometers wide, and more or less ten kilometers long. Big lake, big lake. And when you are on the shore, standing, you look on the other side of the lake, you see the homes so small. But when you get in the water, at the waves level, and you are not standing, your head is in the water and the wind and the waves, and you swim five minutes, you see the shore behind you, you swim another five minutes, you see less of the top of the homes, you swim half an hour, you see only the top of the trees, you swim another half an hour, guess what? You don't see anything. And you swim another one hour, and you don't even know, am I going right, am I going in circles, am I going wrong direction, and... People die because they swim and swim and swim and they just give up and die. So we were with the young people at the Black Sea and the pastor says to our, I don't know, 24, 25, 26 young people, the pastor says, I'm going to challenge you, who can cross the lake? Whoa. That's quite a challenge. The pastor with a boat and two other adults with two other boats, canoes, got in the water and the young people got in the water next to the boat. I called my father. How do I finish the race? And my father said, son, it's not enough to jump in the water. You need to get out of the water. (laughs) Obviously. And he said, how do you finish the race? And he said, don't let anything distract you. Did you hear? Do you want me to repeat so you can, should I say it in Romanian? Do you know better than English? Don't let Anything distract you. He said, be focused on the goal. He said, don't talk to them, don't listen to them, don't think about them. Die to anything around you. Be focused. One focus. One goal. The target. I must finish. And he said, if you get distracted, you'll not get it. You'll not make it. But if you stay focused, one goal, one, you'll make it. I said, "How can I be focused? How can I be focused?" So I came with an idea. I like to whistle. I like to sing, you know. So I started to sing. I imposed a rhythm. Pam <sad> pam You know the song? Oh, whistling in the church. Ooh, okay. And so I started. the others, big Schwarzeneggers, you know, big Rambo's, they all fast me. Pum, pa-pum, pum, pa-pum, pum, pa-pum, going slow like a snail. They were fast. And then they were tired. Me coming. Pum, pa-pum, pum, pa-pum, pum, pa-pum. And I got them from behind and I caught up with them and I passed them. Hey, Pavel passed us and he's a slow swimmer. And they again. And then me. pam. Coming, passing, going farther and farther and farther. They, oh, he's far <laughs> and they could not catch up with me and me. and they were like <laughs> one by one got in the boat. I was swimming. Pam pam. Pavel, get in the boat. There is nobody to compete with. Do you think I answered? Not listening. Hey, get in the boat. Pam pam. Man, there is nobody to compete. I said, Leave me alone. We will die. Happy to die. That's what I learned from my father. Two options. Either I win or I die, but I'm not going to lose. <laughs> they left. Five hours later, I was on the other side. Five hours later. They were all rested, they ate at the restaurant, they had ice cream after that, and they had drinks and this and that, you know, clean drinks. Anyway, and they said, okay, we were waiting for you. How are you? I said, okay. Let's get in the boats and cross back. I said, you do that. I got a little food, a little water, I jumped in the lake, and again, pam, 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 are you crazy? I said, yes, bye. They left. Another five hours and a half later, I was on the other side. I crossed both ways. Do you think because I was a good swimmer? I'm not. I'm the slowest swimmer. I'm a snail. But I stayed focused on the goal. And I didn't allow anything to distract me from the rhythm. You follow me? Why do Christians get in the church and then instantly they are busy with this and busy with that? Nobody says not to have a job. You should have a job. Six days the Bible says, the commandment, that six days you should work. But they get so distracted. They have no time for prayer, no time for study, no time to be involved in the church, no time for God. And eventually they say, Well, I go to church, I keep Sabbath. That's not good enough. You should net. Jesus is coming. Coming again. Coming again. Jesus is coming again. Do you want to be there? then don't let anything distract your attention from the goal. Paul says, I forget what is behind, and I run for the goal ahead, and I keep my eyes on the capital of my salvation. I have no other goal. If I live or die, this is it. I'm going to get the crown. Hello? Shouldn't we be that way? If we are not that way, why are we in the church? It doesn't work lukewarm. My father said, if you want to be in two boats, you are going to drown between the two. You cannot be with the world and with God. You need to choose. And so, how do you grow? This is what we learned, if you remember, in the morning. That the disciples were fighting each other. You remember how sad Jesus was walking to Jerusalem to die... Jesus was dying. And what do they ask? Can we be in your kingdom, one in the left and one in the right? When you come in your glory, can we have part of that glory? You remember? And Jesus says, you don't know what you talk about. What is my glory? I'm going to show you my glory. That's my glory. I'm going to die on the cross. Hello? Hello? Do you grasp that God's glory is that he, God, chose to die for us? And the disciples didn't get transformation, didn't get baptisms. We cannot heal the why do you heal and we can why do you deliver the demon possessed and we cannot? Because they did not understand God yet. And then she says, In the upper room, I want you to remember what we talked. In the upper room, what did they do? They come on. Do you want to get an A or a B or a C? They H, H, humble themselves. Number two, they repented. They repented. They asked forgiveness to one another and to God. Lord, forgive us because we thought we are okay and we are not okay. Please. Number three, they were one in unity. They started to love one another and to help one another. It was a sweet family. And then number four, they Prayed for what? For the Holy Spirit, because Jesus told them you cannot do it. But you pray and when don't go, Jesus, don't go, Jesus, don't go, don't go, don't go, Jesus said. We never get that. We just go, 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 and never accomplish anything. Don't go. Wait in the city, wait and pray. How long? Pray until pray, 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 pray. Don't stop until you receive the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Holy Spirit, then He said, You shall receive power. Then go. Disciples got it. We cannot do it. We cannot, a hand of people, cannot evangelize the world. We cannot even evangelize our families, moreover our city, moreover the world. But they prayed for the Holy Spirit. They prayed. And she says, when the Holy Spirit came, it, what happened? It illuminated, she says, quote, illuminated their mind. And they finally understood the cross. And she says, when they understood that God... The king, the creator, the holy one came and took their sin. And God died for them. God died for you. God died for you. God died for me. Who am I that God would die for me? When they understood that, she says, they were so overwhelmed that they loved him more than their life. And they were joyfully ready to sacrifice all, including life, for him. And she says, when they understood the cross, they went preaching. Preaching. And the Holy Spirit empowered their teaching and thousands got baptized. And she says, in short time, they turned the world upside down. And she says, they did in short time what they, the Holy Spirit did, what they could not have done in a life. And so, I want you to think about this. Let's talk about our church. She says the same thing, a little different. The pioneers in 1844. How many of you have been in Maine? To the rock where they waited for Jesus to come in 1844. Anybody has been there? I've been there. It's beautiful. It's a flat, big, big, long, long, bigger than this building. Big, big, flat rock. And then the hill goes down, the mountain. is not a mountain, it's not a hill, it's something in between. It goes down, and then a new mountain goes up. And that's where our pioneers stood on that rock, looking and waiting in that night in 1844 in October, waiting for the Jesus to come. Waiting for their king. Tonight he comes. We are going to see him face to face. And they were waiting. And the midnight. And then 4 a.m. And then the morning. And Jesus didn't come. And that was the greatest possible disappointment of their life. And from many, many, many who got baptized. Almost half million. 500,000 people. When Miller preached. How many were left over? all left. It was a hand of people. Just a small number. A hand of people. A hand of people left over. They were so discouraged. What happens? Either the Bible is wrong or we don't understand it. So what did they do? And she says, and this is it. They humble themselves. What we have hard time to do. I would rather humble anybody around me but me. (laughs) You understand? They humble themselves. Lord, We are lost. Without you, we are powerless. We really depend on you. We really, we we need to understand that church. That we need God. We cannot do it. They humbled themselves. They recognized their need. They prayed for the Holy Spirit. We need wisdom. You promised the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit to open our minds and to help us. And then they repeated Jesus' teachings and the prophecies. They repeated Jesus' teachings and the prophecies. Like the disciples, if you remember. They repeated Jesus' teachings and the prophecies. And the sanctuary. And when the Holy Spirit came. She says, it illuminated their mind. And they started to understand the sanctuary. And they understood, she says, in that moment. The Calvary. They started to grasp the meaning that God died for them. And she says, when they understood that. They already to sacrifice everything joyfully for preaching of the gospel. And they said, this is too good. We have to tell the whole world. Now let me ask you. Are you ready to sacrifice everything? I mean everything. Not only your money. I never preach money. People who love Jesus, they have no problem to help. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about everything. Your life, your house, your health, your time. If God says today, go to Africa, you go to Africa. Whatever. Whatever. Everything. Are you ready to sacrifice everything? Because if you are not, you have never understood the cross. When you understand what God has done for you, you have no problem. If you have any second thoughts, any doubt, any hesitation, it means that you still don't love God and don't understand the cross. Because if you love him more than life, you have no problem to sacrifice self. And so... That's what the pioneers did. Now, let me explain something about the pioneers. Why we don't still experience the latter rain? Why are we still here? After so many years, Jesus could have come long ago, we are still here. In Daniel, he says that it was the gold and then the silver and then the bronze and then the iron and then the iron and the clay. And when I was small, I thought, man, the feet and the, the, the toes are the iron and the clay. And I said, how long could be those toes if we are still there and Jesus didn't come? <laughs> I mean, why did my grandfather said Jesus is coming? And he died 103 years old. And then my father said Jesus is coming and he died. And I am saying Jesus is coming. How long is it going to take? Why didn't Jesus come? Why don't we experience the latter rain? Why don't we go home? Is it God's fault or us? Well, let me tell you why. She says, they understood the cross and they committed everything daily. They surrendered all. All to Jesus. I surrender all to Him. We sing the song? Well, it's easy to sing it. They committed all with zero reservation. And then she says, we have never equaled that desire and that love. There was a spirit of consecration and dedication that is not yet today. They already sacrificed everything, including life. Why don't we sacrifice today? And she says, quote, conformity to the world, unwillingness to suffer for God and for the truth. Whoa, That, that pretty much says it all, doesn't it? Now I want to move on. What happened? In 1856, James White and Ellen White talked together and they talked to the leadership of the church and they said, Jesus could have come, but we, the church, need to repent. We need to do what the disciples did in the upper room. We need to humble ourselves. We need to repent. We need to repeat the teachings and the prophecies. We need to understand the cross. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes... Latter rain comes. When the latter rain comes, as the early rain came to start the work, the latter rain comes to finish the work and we'll go home. And they said, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. Guess what? The church started to spread, uh, how you say, uh, newsletters or, or magazines or this type of uh, pamphlets, sending to the divisions and to the unions and to the conferences and to the local churches and to the members and to everybody. How many members did we have in that time? Anybody has a clue? Ara- around 2,500 to 3,000 members worldwide, that's it. <laughs> yeah, and so they sent it to everybody and they said, everybody, the whole church, Jesus said, whenever two or three, everybody unite and pray for the latter rain. And the church started to pray, listen carefully. The church started to pray in 1856. I want you to understand, very important now. In 1856, November, the church started to pray for the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. It's in our history. And they prayed until 1857, March. How many months did they pray? November, December, January, February, March. How many months? They prayed five months. This is what Ellen White says. When they started to pray, God sent angels in every direction of the world to prepare the hearts for the truth and for the second coming. Listen what happened then when when they started to pray. In that time, in New York... Jeremiah Lampier, who was a businessman, not a pastor, Jeremiah Lampier, he says, I started to study the cross. And he says, when I understood the cross, I understood that people need to know the good news. And he said, I started to preach to everybody among co-workers the good news. Jesus died for you, and you can be saved. And people said, we don't know how to do it. And he says, we need to pray for the Holy Spirit. So Jeremiah Lampierre... Put an announce a banner at the entrance of the Central Park in New York. From 12 to 1, every day at noon, prayer for the Holy Spirit. We pray for the Holy Spirit. Come and join us. About 10, 15 people came. Next day, he went in the Central Park. He prayed 20 people. Next day, 50 people. Next day, 50. A week later, the economy dropped. Total collapse. The banking system dropped. Guess how many people came next day? Over 10,000 people. Next day, over 50,000 people. Neb- people. Next day, over 100,000 people. Next day, over 200,000 people. Eventually, they got 1.4 million conversions. Did you hear what I said? And they say, we had every week roughly 10,000 people converted. Every week, 10,000 people. It, it, it sounds like the, the Pentecost Day. 5,000 today, 3,000 tomorrow. You remember? When, people, when our people started to pray from November 1856, you remember? Do you want me to repeat or you got it? They prayed until March 1857. When they prayed, says, God sent angels in the world to prepare the world. And in that time, Jeremiah Lampier started to pray in New York. He's the founder of Bible Society. If you go in New York to the Bible Society building, in front of the building, you see that statue. That's him, right there. But then, in the same time, in the same time, when he started to pray in New York, in England is the Keswick Convention. In the same time, they started to pray in a tent in St. John Church. Two people started to preach, and they was praying and praying and 200 people and 300 and 400, 100,000 and then the whole city and then 3-4 cities around started to come and you have revival in England and then in the same time in Chicago, Moody started to preach and you had a bunch of people attending and just full revival and in the same time it spread around and around and around and around, and it kept going around the world. And then if you look in history, it says that the revival spread from America to England, from England to Eastern Europe. From Eastern Europe, it went to Africa. From Africa, it went then back to America, and then it went to South America, Brazil and Peru, and then it went to China and Korea. And she says it caught the whole world when our people were praying. God sent angels, prepared the world, And she says, Jesus was ready to come. As Israel was supposed to enter in Canaan, and at the gate they were afraid. And the Bible says, literally, they didn't trust. The Bible says in Hebrew, they perished because of, it says the word, unbelief. It's not because there were giants. It wasn't because they were sinners. It was not because of the problems. It was not because of the walls of Jericho. It was because God's people didn't trust their God. They didn't believe that God is able to deliver. And that's the reason they went back in the wilderness until they died. Because they did not know their God to trust him. That he is able to deliver what he promised. And so, the same here. They prayed, 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 prayed. And in that time, Satan came with a device. The U.S. government offered free land to anybody who would start a farm. So it was an announcement. We offer free land. You come, two, three hundred acres if you start a farm. It's yours for free. In the same time, more ships of immigrants came to New York. That was cheap labor. In the same time, they found gold in California. And she says, Our people got distracted. And instead of praying, so the Holy Spirit comes under the latter rain and we finish and we go home. She says they stopped praying and revival stopped. And she says, Quote, We are not worthy and ready for the latter rain, for the full outpouring of the Holy Spirit. We stopped praying. If we ha- would have labored unitedly and received the third angel's message and proclaimed the power, the Lord would have come. Christ would have come. Christ would have come long ago. Now, I want you to think about it. She sent another letter to General Conference in 1901 and she said, If we would have kept praying, kept praying, Jesus would have come. We need to pray for the Holy Spirit. So they decided to pray again. And they decided to pray again for the Holy Spirit and for revival. When they started to pray again, she says, God again sent angels to prepare the world. And they started to pray in 1901. And what happened? You have the Welsh revival in England. The Welsh revival. He started to pray from 7 p.m. with his church, Evan Roberts, from 7 p.m. until about 8 p.m. And more people came to church. And more people would get baptized. So they prayed from 7 to 9. More people came. So they prayed from 7 to 12 midnight. And more people came. The whole city. So they said they prayed from 7 to 3 a.m. For the Holy Spirit. For the latter rain. For revival. And eventually the whole county. All the cities around. And the history says. Very interesting. Listen carefully. Listen carefully. It says here. There was a spirit of deep repentance. We humbled ourselves. I want you to listen. We humbled ourselves. We repented. We united. We prayed for the Holy Spirit. And people baptized by thousands every day. Bars closed. Restaurants closed. Jails were empty closed. The tribunal, the court closed. The judges lost their jobs. Lawyers lost their jobs. And she... And and then the history says that one journalist went to the police station and said, hey, the court closed because there are no criminals. What do you do as police force? And the marshal, the chief of police, said to them, we divide the police in, in four groups and we go from church to church every weekend and we sing. They formed the police choir because they had no criminals. Isn't that beautiful? That's in history. In the Welsh revival, when our people started to pray, God sent angels to prepare the world. And the Holy Spirit started to come, to come, the latter rain, more and more abundant. And she says, revivals everywhere. In the Welsh revival, even the police became a choir. And then he says, "The influence went from America to England, from England. it went to Scandinavia, Central Europe, Canada, U.S., Australia, New Zealand, South Africa, Brazil, Mexico, Chile, and then Korean revival and then, the, the, and then Manchurian revival in China. And then he says, "It covered the whole world." And then she says, "Our people stop praying." And the revival stopped. If we'd have kept praying, we would have been home. Why? Because Satan is not afraid if we do all the forms. But Satan is afraid when people pray for the Holy Spirit. Look what it says. They humble themselves. They pray for the promise of the Holy Spirit. They receive the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. They started to preach the gospel. They were ready to sacrifice everything. It was an explosion of baptism. And they reached the world in no time. And then he says in Zechariah chapter 10, Ask for the Lord for rain in the time of the latter rain. This is the time of the latter rain. This is it. Look around. This is it. So what should we do? Brothers and sisters, what should we do? This is what, they say, what she says. Many lost sight of Jesus. They need to have their eyes directed back to his divine person, his merits, his changes love for the human family. They needed to understand the priceless gift of his own righteousness. This is the message that God commanded to be given to the whole world. This is the third angel message, which is to pro- be proclaimed with a loud voice and attended with the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in large measure. The last message of mercy given to the whole world is a, message, a revelation of Christ's character of love. This message understood and proclaimed will lighten the whole earth with its glory. The message of Christ's righteousness. His righteousness by faith. His sacrifice. His grace. His cross. This message is going to prepare the way for the Lord to come. This is the glory of God, which is going to close the work of the third angel. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And they lost sight of Jesus. They needed their attention back to Jesus. The single message that has power. This message will be attended by the of the Holy Spirit. I want you to understand. It's extremely important. I'm going to finish with a story. I don't have time much. I have about six minutes left over. A story that I never tell because it's too emotional. My father was talking to me and said, Son... You don't understand God. Nobody does. We will never do. Because our brain is too small to really grasp the infinite one. But son, if you just daily focus on the cross. If you just daily. And I remember what Elena says. She says, quote. It would be good for us to spend one. Who knows the quotation? It would be good for us to spend one thoughtful hour that's what she says it would be good for us to spend one thoughtful hour every day reflecting on jesus life specifically the last week of his life on his cross she says that would transform us it would be good for us to put your eyes one hour a day and try to understand what god has done for you and what he is about to do for you because that alone is gonna change your life and that alone is gonna change the world that's the third angel's message so my father would say to me, son, if you just focus on the cross, because the more you understand the cross, the more, without effort, you will be transformed. Remember what she says, at the foot of the cross, as we reflect, as we behold, what Jesus says, behold the son of man. Remember in the wilderness, those that would behold the snake on, on that pole, you remember? They were healed. And that's what Jesus says, behold the son of Behold the son. If you would behold... My my father would say, if you just fix your eyes, and then she says, at the foot of the cross, as we behold the sacrifice, the more we look and the more we understand what God has done for us, without human effort, we are transformed into His image. The more we behold, the more, without even knowing we are changed into his image. Just to spend time and to understand, it it will overwhelm you, and it will just change you entirely. You will be totally transformed. We try to change, and we never manage, because we don't have that power. Who can change a heart? It takes a miracle of creation. But when you go to the cross, that changes you. And so my father used to say to me, son, when you understand the cross... You love Jesus to the degree that you'll forget self, until then you still worship self. Well, I remember he continued for many, 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 many years, to bring Bibles every once like every week or every two weeks, or once a month he depended to bring Bibles in the country. He continued to spread the Bibles. He continued to go and do Bible studies and do this and that. and they called him uncounted times to the police station. They came and controlled our house. One time they came, and we literally got that night. My father brought 40 boxes. They were so tall and wide from here to here and from here to here. 40 boxes of Bibles, and our living room was very small. And when you would get from the hallway, from the entrance in the living room, you would literally have to go around the boxes because you could not walk. They took almost the whole living room. And we just got the Bibles, and the police came and knocked in the door. They came a little before that. Do you have Bibles? And we did. And my father didn't say yes because he would go to prison. Didn't say no because that was a lie. He said, what is your job? We are police officers. And what are you supposed to do? To do our job. Well, why do you ask me if I have Bibles? If I tell you, I should get your salary. Get inside, check the house, and then you do your job and deserve your salary. And they said, if he's willing to let us control, it means he doesn't have Bibles. And they left. Now, this time when they came, the living room was full. And my father said, come and check. And they said, yeah, 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 you did that last time and we left. And then we got a tip that you did have Bibles. So we are going to come in. And they did come in. They did. My mom was crying. And the three officers, they started to check everywhere. Drawers, mattresses closets, bathroom, bedrooms. They totally turned the house, you know, every door, everything. And they would walk around the boxes and nobody saw the boxes. They were like blind. They didn't even hit against the boxes. And after two hours they say, there is no Bible in this house. And they left. God blinded them. And so I got this message. I said, Daddy, God always does a miracle for you because he loves you. My father says, son, you don't get it. He loves everybody the same. He died for everybody. He has tears in his eyes. I said, well, but he defends you. He said, no, son, it's about his work. It's not about me. Aren't you happy that he protects you? He said, I really don't care. If I live, I'm going to serve. If I die, it's a privilege. You remember what Paul says, for me to live is Jesus and to die, it's a favor. It's a privilege, it's a joy. And my father said, I don't live for this life. I live for eternity. And so if I die, I'm going to see Jesus face to face at the resurrection. And I'm okay with that. I'm in God's hands. And I remember one time they called him to the police station. And they told him, you just don't stop. And we need to stop you. We cannot allow this in a communist country. We just cannot allow it. And they talked. And they said, if we kill him... This man is known, the whole city, the whole county, maybe half of the country, everybody knows him. If we kill him, we make him a martyr. We need to kill him in a quiet way that nobody knows. So they took him and put him in a room. Locked the room and left. In the morning, they came, opened the door, white costume, gloves, and said, you can go home. He came home. About a week later, he started to bleed to bleed, to lose hair, to have diarrhea with blood, we took him to the doctor, and the doctor said, Mr. Goya, you have been irradiated. You have been exposed to high levels of radiation, and because of the radiation, your body shut down, your spine shut down, your lymph, lympho whatever, stopped working, you have lymphatic leukemia, because you have been so irradiated that your spine doesn't function anymore, your liver, your lungs, nothing functions. You just have about a month. We prayed. My father lived healthy. He would drink carrot juice and celery juice and this and that. He lived another six months. I prayed like crazy. Lord, you have healed him so many times. Heal him again. I know you can. And after a while, right before he died, he said, son, you don't get it. Why do you focus so much on my life? Is that what you worship? And he said, if God wants me to live, I will certainly live. And if God wants me to die, who am I to say different? Jesus died for me. I'm happy to die for him. He said, I am okay. He said, stop praying for my life. You already prayed like a million times. God heard you. Don't try to push him to twist his arm. He heard you. Let God be God. Say like Jesus in the garden. Nevertheless, may your will be done. And accept it. And then my father said, look around! I said, okay. In our church, there are a bunch of good people. None of them have the courage to do evangelism. None of them have the courage to bring Bibles. None of them have the courage to build churches. None of them... And he says, sometimes under big trees, nothing would grow. So you have to cut a big tree so the small ones would develop. And so he said, now it's time for me to pray. He gathered my mom, my sisters... I said, Lord, what a privilege that I can die for you. And he said, I don't care that in fact I'm happy. Because it's going to be a second to resurrection and I'm going to see you face to face. And he said, what a joy to see you. That's what I live for. I don't live for this life. But I do ask that you take care of my family. And please help them to stay focused. So they can be with me. And then he says, I pray that you are going to use my funeral and save more than in my whole life. And then he says, just wake up the church. So they pray and do the job. Thank you, Lord. He said, Amen. And then he entered in a coma. Two hours later, he was gone. Folks, how willing, how willing are you to say, Lord, I'm happy to die for you. Hello, Because if you have second thoughts While you still say you love God You don't understand the cross When you fix your eyes On the cross And understand that God died for you You'll be so Overwhelmed That you would love him more than life And you'll forget self and be ready to surrender all, to sacrifice all, no reservation, and joyfully die for him. And God probably is not going to ask you to be a death sacrifice, but a living sacrifice. And only then, when you are willing to surrender, like Moses, like Abraham, Moses was a regular man, he was no superman. Elijah, regular man. Noah, Noah, regular man. All of them were people, they are not supermen. Driving supercar and eating uh, superfood and using superglue. They were just regular people. But because they surrendered all, God could use them. And God can take one person and save a whole nation, can turn a whole world upside down through one committed person. You remember the quotation I read in the morning? There is no limit. You remember? There is no limit to what God can do through one that fully surrenders. There is no limit. You know what you know what no limit means? There is no limit to what God can do through one. What if each one in the church would fully surrender? Because listen, Jesus is coming. Everything is going to burn. We don't take it to heaven. I'm not saying we should not have homes. If you don't want to have a home, give it to me. I'll take it. <laughs> I'm not saying we should not have a car or we, it's good. It's okay. But I am saying that we should have priorities. Put God first. You follow me? It's okay to have a job. God told you to work until Jesus comes. But don't make it an idol. Put God first. Be filled with him. Daily surrender. Lord, use me today. And you'll see how God is going to work in you, with your family, and with the others around you. And God is going to use you to save people for eternity. People that may say otherwise, you knew it and you didn't tell me. Those people will be in heaven because of you. They will be saved forever because of you. When you daily make God the center of your life. Make him a priority. Nothing else should distract us from our relationship with God. Because Jesus is coming. It's time for us to be serious. There is no more time to play religion. It's too late in the history To do that. You follow me? And we cannot do it. Nobody can do it. You cannot do it. I cannot do it. But God can do it. And if we don't go there. It's because of our unbelief. We don't trust that God is able to save. We don't trust that God is able to forgive. We don't trust that God is able to change. We don't trust. We need to trust without understanding. You don't need to understand God in order to believe God. Don't try to understand God. You will never understand God. He has too big of a brain for you to understand Him. You just need to know that He died for you. And He promised and He keeps His word. And you need to go by faith and to trust God. Take His word. Because God doesn't lie. You follow me? And so say, Lord, I don't deserve it. I cannot do it. But I do believe that you love me and that you are able and you will do it. And I want to trust in you. So I'm going to surrender in faith and decide to trust in you. You follow me? And let God do the work that you cannot do. And you'll be impressed beyond imagination what he can do. You are going to be in shock. You will have a story. Because our God is faithful. But you need to pray daily. To be filled with his presence. And to daily surrender your life and say... Here I am. Fill me today. And you need to pray that for your families. Lord, fill my family. Baptize my family fresh with your spirit. You need to pray that for your church. Lord, fill my church. Because the more we pray for that the more God can take over. The more we experience the latter rain until we are ready and Jesus comes. Let's pray. Father in heaven, what a promise that you will finish what you started, that you are able to save, that you have the power to do things beyond our human imagination Help us to daily seek your presence more than anything else. And to trust in your power to change and to save. Fill us with your spirit. And help us to experience revival. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.